Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode number 23 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. As always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. And uh, yeah, I'm sitting here right now watching a video of the game that we're playing and talking about this week. And I'm going to get distracted a lot because it's just so much fun to watch this. This game is a freaking movie. Um, but it is. Which game is this? We are talking about Star Fox for the Super NES, Super Famicom, uh, released, let's see, by, well, it was developed by Argonaut Software, uh, published by Nintendo, released, I got a couple different dates here, it looks like Japan, we got a February of 93, mm-hmm. North America, March of 93, Europe, June of 93, so all within the same year, just a few months separated there but um mm-hmm. yeah uh what a game it's oh, yeah. kind of amazing that it's taken us this long to get to this you know not that it's necessarily the be-all end-all cartridge but uh the notoriety the the fame it has the reputation there's just there's a whole lot of stuff that we're gonna have to talk about with this so um absolutely i say we just get right on to it let's talk some nostalgia so wes what are your early memories of playing Star Fox? I can remember following this game quite a bit in Nintendo Power and being really excited about it. Uh, you know, keep in mind, like this is early 1993, so uh, things are really starting to heat up as far as uh, 3D ga- graphics and 3D gaming. Uh, the push for like uh, polygonal, three-dimensional uh, games and stuff like that, and a lot of this at the time, you know, you also have the Sega CD, um, the TurboGrafx CD, you have um some of the bigger um systems on the horizon so this to me is was like a big game to kind of say you know the super nes still has some tricks up its sleeve and uh star fox was one of the big flagship titles of that so i remember just being really excited for it and following it and i'm i'm pretty sure i got this around the time of my birthday because it came out um about a month before so I'm I'm kind of hazy on it, but I'm pretty sure that uh, that I had it, and I'm pretty sure that a few of my friends in in the neighborhood where I grew up had it too. So uh, you know, one of these games that I played a lot, um, played a lot at friends' houses, and um, you know, it, it was a big title. So yeah, uh, yeah, this was one for me that uh, again, like you, the hype of it coming out, like I. I can think of less than a half a dozen games total in my lifetime that the anticipation was just huge, you know, mostly mm-hmm. because of things Nintendo Power was doing mm-hmm. or just because the game had like these, you know, giant graphical like leaps. Uh, Donkey Kong Country is another big one that I can think of. Like it was just nuts when they were typing that up. But um yeah so i definitely remember all of that there were just pictures after pictures after pictures in nintendo power mm-hmm. um and it, it, it just looked like something that no other game was doing like the the everything being like kind of pointed and angular like it, it's got that kind of like mesh like I'm, I'm, the, if you look at like the shadows like that the jets have like it's got that kind of like crosshatch imagery to it like it, it all just has a very fancy looking aesthetic to it which is funny because 
the graphics aren't spectacular, you know, especially considering, you know, when you look like compared to modern, but mm. at the time, like when all we had was like, just these like pixelated sprites, it was uh, unreal. And yeah. yeah. So yeah, the hype for it was huge. And this was actually a game. I didn't own a cartridge of it actually up until about just a few months ago was the first time I ever mm. actually owned this. Um, as big it, of a title. It was just really hard to find. Uh, copies of it were just never around when I was out shopping for games. Uh, oh. I I rented it a ton, and I had you know one of my best friends down the street. He owned it, mm-hmm. and I would I would play it at his house a lot. Um, but then especially because you know it never was a virtual console title, it just mm-hmm. became. It's always kind of been one of those rarer games that. Yeah, it was just, you know, within the last few months or so that I picked it up for my Super Famicom. Um, but yeah, so I, I've played it a lot, but comparatively, like I have not put near the number of hours in that probably most people have. Sure, sure. And I played it quite a bit when it came out, but um, this is the first time playing it for the show the last couple of weeks. This is the first time I've sat down with it for a good amount of years. So I've, I've played most of the rest of the series um star fox 64 obviously um star fox zero recently uh, things like that but for some reason i just never jumped back into star fox i don't know why like i own the cartridge but maybe it's one of those things like i played it so much as a kid that you know i just wanted to kind of let it sit on the shelf for a while before i went back to it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah it does um i think one of the things that kind of kept me from spending more time or jumping on it sooner too was that like i was never terribly good at the game Hmm. um i I do think it's one of those that does require you know a lot of practice you know you really got to spend some time digging into it uh Mm -hmm. it's it's nice that it gives you multiple you know paths that you can go on so it's kind of like having the easy mode or hard mode and all that Hmm. but yeah it's one that i was just never that good at and so when i would rent it like i'd start on you know course one and play through that and you know would would do okay but i think to this day i know that i've beaten i mean i've I've beaten the easy course and i've beaten the hard course because i frequently would use the the black hole and that Mm -hmm. takes you over into world three yeah um or i'm sorry that takes you into world two Mm. um and i would beat course two that way but I don't know that I have actually played through every single course on here, you know, kind of in order and beaten it on all the different paths. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting um, for me playing it recently now because I, I sat down and I cleared course one pretty easily. It took me a little bit to get back into the game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, course two, I played through and course three, I had a little bit of difficulty on just because like I said, I, I haven't played it in so long that um, it gets pretty difficult pretty fast as far as, uh, you know how you have to manage your um, your flying and your shooting because uh, you know the later the farther that you get the uh, the more damage the enemies do so you right. can only take a couple of hits before you go so well and there's definitely a, a pretty steep difficulty curve with things like I always found aiming to be actually pretty difficult mm. um, once you get kind of the twin blasters and then the you know the upgrade even beyond that mm-hmm. it's much to hit but like when you're just got you know single beam it's pretty tough to actually hit your target um and especially then if you like you know die midway through the level you got to restart at one of the rings yeah and you lost your gun like that can be tough to finish the mm-hmm. stage um it's weird because um the way that i've always equated the shooting in this is you have to almost aim a little above your target Mm-hmm. Because it's not that your shots drop, but it certainly feels that way. And right. that, uh, there's they're sort of angled almost um, towards the center of the screen a little bit. Right. Yeah. And there's other little challenges such as, you know, the, the levels that always gave me the hardest uh, time were, what is it, like the um, Sector Z, I think, and Sector X, especially, like where you've got the just debris flying at you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's three. I think it is when those there are those enemies that attach themselves to the asteroids and yep. they start throwing the asteroids at you. Yeah, there's those. The in sector sector X, you've got all the like spinning 
like I-beams and construction beams that are zipping around and it's tough to, you know, kind of aim your trajectory and think like, okay, where is it going to be when I get to it? Mm-hmm. Um, some of those doors where you've got to like shoot it and then they open and then they close and they open. It's like getting always your, have trouble with those. Yeah. Your timing in there. And it's like, those are the little things where you have to get that stuff right because you screw yeah. up that, then you don't have enough health for, you know, the bosses or the future stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an unforgiving game in a lot of ways. I mm-hmm. think, you know, the bosses can be really tough. They all have a weakness, but until you figure out what that is, like, you can get hosed by some of the later bosses, you know, trying to figure out where I have to hit to do any damage. I noticed I had that issue over the past few playthroughs with the rock crusher boss. I think it's oh, in course two, I think it is, because yeah. if you don't slow down at the right part, it still crushes you no matter what. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then for me, I was playing that and I was struggling with it because my Japanese isn't, you know, that great. And when I know that Peppy gives you some sort of a piece of advice like hit this button now and i'm just like i don't remember what he's saying <laughs> right <laughs> i'm pressing everything yeah which one do i hit yeah but um yeah it's it's a good challenge i think it's a lot of fun and um de- definitely it, it rewards you for sticking with it and kind of playing more and i like that it's the kind of game where you can master it you know i think you know at least one of our listeners was saying on facebook today that He's been through every course, gotten hundred percent on all of them. So it's like over time you can get there, but mm-hmm. it's also the kind of game where for me playing it 25 years later, there's still parts of it where it's like, oh yeah, I, I, I got to, uh, is it Titania? And mm-hmm. thought to my, the first time I played that just a couple of days ago was thinking like, man, I must not have gotten or taken this course all that much. Cause I did not remember a frozen planet like at all. Um, so there's, still little things in here that you can always get better at and kind of rediscover. So, yeah. And that's, um, that's probably one of the, um, I don't know, biggest revelations, I guess, about this game is that um, at first, you know, you might die a couple of times and get frustrated, but uh, the more that you play it and you get really good at knowing where the enemies will be, then, uh, you know, you start to anticipate that and you, you do better. So, right. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like a lot of shoot 'em ups in that regard, where yeah, yeah. there's there's a pattern to it, and it at first it's just like completely kicking your ass, but then you kind mm-hmm. of figure out like, okay, there's a twin blaster coming right around the corner. I gotta be sure to pay yeah. attention for it, or shield rings, or things like that. Um, but yeah, and some of them you have to really shoot. Like, if, okay, let's say if there's um, an enemy that's gonna drop the uh, blaster power up you need to figure out when to shoot it properly because there are times that if you shoot it too quickly and the blaster power up is towards the top of the screen, you're not going to be able to fly up to yep. get it. Yep. Can't get it. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of frustrating. That's mostly in the, um, like the deep space levels, I guess I would call them, but uh, right. like your sector X and um, things like that. But so speaking of those levels, that's another kind of fun feature of this game that I thought as a kid was really kind of futuristic and, cool was the camera angle switches on you and as soon as you enter those stages it goes to a you know first person cockpit perspective um Mm -hmm. now as a kid i always immediately hit select and got out of that mode and just went back to the normal one but now as an adult i kind of think like oh i don't know maybe there's an advantage to one versus the other or more fun staying in it so i'm kind of curious do you stay in the cockpit do you i do actually yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, it it reminds me so much of Star Wars, and I know that's what it was going for at the time. But uh, it, there's just a feeling of the way that the way it, those levels start, where it zooms you through the cockpit and it puts you right there and it puts the crosshairs up on the screen. I mean, it's it. I mean, obviously this game's very arcade like, but that adds even more, I think, to it as far as like I feel like I'm playing like the Star Wars arcade game almost mm-hmm. in a way you know dodging the asteroids in first person and shooting things and you see the you know the the pilots fly through at mode seven uh on some of this the levels so yeah i i use that a lot the only thing that is tricky is uh navigating like some of the um hazards like so if there's some of the beams and stuff that are coming down i might zoom out again right that. but i i do like playing in the cockpit view if i can yeah, it ma- it makes aiming way easier. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've got the crosshairs, um, but yeah, just knowing what you know the the spatial orientation of your ship is is a little bit tricky because 
sometimes yeah. I'll try to barrel roll and you know, you're not entirely certain whether it's working or not. I mean, and well, that's the, that's the tricky thing because it just shows your, um, your crosshairs spinning around. Right. And I know that's a hardware limitation and that's fine. But, um, you know, honestly, I don't really barrel roll that much. So I found that like I, I did as a kid a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but then as I was kind of playing through it the last couple of weeks, I realized like, I, I don't know if my coordination is just not as good as it was, or maybe it's the beer who knows, but like huh. I found it kind of tricky to get the timing just right of hitting those. So I was just like, eh, I'm just figuring it out without watching yeah. my playthrough right now. They're uh, just coming on to venom, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, that was another thing that I really enjoyed about this game is that all three of the paths that you take, the first stage is the same planet and the last stage is the same planet, but it's not the same. Like they right. didn't just rep- replicate it. And yeah, the first time you, get brave enough to try you know course three and you realize that like all oh, the sky's like blood red and it's like you know dawn or dusk or whatever it's like that's a very cool twist to mm-hmm. the stage that you're very familiar with and that was nice and friendly and easy up until this point yeah and that's something i was like seeing in these games too when uh you saw like alternate versions of the levels almost you know what i mean like even if it's just you know it takes place at dawn or at dusk or whatever but um just seeing like a level that you're sort of familiar with but seeing it in a different light i always thought that was really cool mm-hmm. it's like oh you might be approaching it at dusk and now everything's got this you know shades of of orange and and whatnot and just it just looks cool right and that that's probably a testament to this game a little bit too it, it, how how nice the uh the backgrounds you know? well and, and there's also you know one of the funny little nods that you see in the game from you know, along those same lines is not only are their levels similar, but slightly different is I love that in some of them, you can see like pieces and parts to bosses, like from other ones, like obviously out of this dimension, you see all that kind of stuff, but then there are the, Mm -hmm. is the black hole, I think. Um, But then like, yeah, there's one of the stages where there's some big robots who are carrying the parts to the boss from the first stage and the first course. Um, Yeah. That's uh, I think that's course three. Yeah. First level. Like when you get to the end of it. Yeah, that, that part is really cool. Or it's just like you know, these giant robots that are just carrying I beams and, and robot parts and you just happen to shoot them and they drop. Well, yeah, that's I, when you realize like, oh, the boss is gonna be different on this course because uh-huh. they're carrying him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it just it, it's cool because it adds it adds something more to the um just the feel of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're flying through these gates and you're you're flying through the city almost, and there's giant robots putting other giant robots together. And uh, it's just it's a really cool idea. Well, and for a game that's essentially just fly a jet straight through and shoot things, like mm-hmm. most of the time when you're playing it, you're so distracted by what's going on on the screen, you don't really pay attention. But sometime when you're playing, take a break and like look at the backgrounds because you know Venom's a great example of where you've got these like gorgeous rolling clouds and there's, you know, lightning strikes. Like it's a really cool looking aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some of the deep space ones, you know, get kind of boring, but then there's little elements that you can see flying around that it just, it, it leads to a really good looking game that, you know, the backgrounds typically, you know, no pun intended fade into the background. But mm-hmm. if you pay attention, there's a lot of art that's there. That's, kind of adding some atmosphere to these planets that otherwise would just be courses. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even from a, a sci-fi fan perspective, each planet sort of has its own feel, yep. um, whether it be Titania or Fortuna or Macbeth, um, or even, you know, flying through the space armada and stuff like that. I mean, this is very much, you know, sort of a star Wars inspired kind of game, but each, each planet feels totally different, you know, especially um, is it Titania where you have to, fly through the the gate and disable the weather generator yeah and then it turns from like snowy ice planet into like not like lava planet but you know kind of like it's like a mars type yeah yeah i thought that was really cool so um it's just it's neat how yeah it's a game about you know a fox and a rabbit and a turtle or, or a frog or whatnot but at the same time like it's got like a pretty cool sci-fi background going on as far as like space opera type uh, atmosphere, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, 
space opera also not only just in its environment and the planets but i mean it's for a game that's about a fox who's flying a jet you know to go kill a giant monkey there's actually a pretty kick-ass story here too absolutely yeah um yeah, there's i mean much like star wars this game kind of starts off in the middle of the story so to speak because you learn that there was an entire story before this right you know and you're just kind of starting off and have something to prove and um you know you take down the evil empire so to speak yeah the um sorry i have to derail for a second i'm watching the part now where he's fighting andros and it's just like i can just remember that the first time you get it and it's like this is like some of the most amazing graphics for the time ever like Mm -hmm. all those angles and you know blocks that he's spitting out at you like this was this was mind-blowing i'm Um, telling you yeah um you know max headroom kind of stuff but yeah a little bit i think it's just you know um like we were kind of talking about this on facebook um yesterday and today but you know this was sort of the the dawn of the 3d era so to speak and uh I've recently I've had some nostalgia for this this era you know where it's like yeah nothing's really shaded properly and it doesn't look realistic but there's just something cool about seeing um, these 3D models put together with these polygons at the time it was it was cool as hell yeah but yeah anyway going back to the story a little bit like um, I think one of the things that I liked so much about this was you know I was a Nintendo Power subscriber from way way back and that was one of the rare cases where I felt like we were rewarded as Nintendo Power subscribers um, because they put that comic out in, I think, starting in like issue 44, 45, somewhere in there. Um, ran for about you know 11 or 12 issues. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. on our Facebook par- profile or Facebook page, you can see I put a link up to the entire thing. Um, mm-hmm. But that aired and was published before the game came out. So you already got kind of a taste of what this story is and it was all teaser. So Mm -hmm. you're reading this very detailed comic about this sci-fi world, you know, all this fantasy stuff. And it's like, God, this game is going to be amazing. And so then it just took this, yeah, game about a fox flying a jet and added just so much more depth to it and made it feel like more than just a, a shooter. And it's interesting because just looking at kind of the the history of this game and, and the making of, I mean, most of the work was done by a company named Argonaut. And then, uh, you know, Nintendo kind of stepped in and, and added some things. And from what I kind of read about it, um, it was Miyamoto's decision to kind of, you know, make the, the animal pilots and things like that and kind of add that aspect to it. So it's interesting to think that, you know, had had they not, stepped in and had Argonaut just published it as a just a regular space shooter, would it have been the same? Probably yeah, I don't know. You know, so um it's kind of interesting how, you know, both companies sort of came together to create something as interesting as this. Because normally I guess I don't know. I mean growing up, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, yeah, there's a fox and a rabbit and a toad and whatever. Um but at the same time you kind of accept it and you just you enjoy it for what it is. Well, I think to some degree that that plays into, you know, what Nintendo was like, Mm -hmm. it's always, you know, you got to remember this is before the days of, you know, PlayStation and Xbox and all of that, which were more the adult systems. So we were just always used to video games could be kind of, you know, hardcore edgy or, you know, fancy, but at the same time, they would have this little bit of a cartoony element to it. And that was that wasn't off-putting. There wasn't anybody no. that was like, well, this game would be good if it wasn't about a fox. Like that was just, that was fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, I would say that probably counterpoint to that. I mean, Sega was probably pushing more towards the, trying to get more of the, the older gamer and try to say, Oh, we've got a little bit more mature titles around this time, especially 93. I mean, you're talking doom, you're talking mortal Kombat two. Um, I mean, tons of tons of games that were more appealing to, not really adults, but probably older, older teenage gamers, I guess, at the time, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it, it was, it was starting. Um, yeah, but at the same time, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, playing this game, even though it's got these talking animals flying ships, it's still cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, although it did get a little annoying that they constantly needed my help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
that's precursor to you know later Zelda games where you know Navi just needs your help all the time or somebody's always getting in trouble. I don't know. Not really. I just I mostly let these pilots die on their own or I shoot. Them. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there's but. less consequence for that in this one. Once you get to like Star Fox sixty four, like you actually can hurt them pretty easily and. Right. If you're going for medals, you can't let them die or things like that. But yeah, in this one, like you can just shoot the hell out of them. Their health really doesn't go down much. Um, they cuss they, at you a lot. I've blown up a few of them sometimes. So. I mean, it, it happens. It just takes a little yeah. more work. But sometimes I'm like, all right, you're just pissing me off. I got to get rid of you. <laughs> yeah. Quit flying in front of me for crying out loud. Yeah. I really hate it when they're like, oh, I'm going to get this one. I'm going to get this one. And they start flying ahead. And it's like, it takes them a half an hour to shoot down that one guy. And it's like, yeah. I'm just going to do it for you. And then they get mad and all dejected and Slippy wants to go cry. I'm I'm sure we can find a, a psych major that could write a, a whole book on the behaviors of, of your co-pilots in this game. <laughs> I, I just want to know like, like, how they made it into this flight Academy. If they suck, like they really uh, do. <laughs> I mean, the only four people that applied. So uh, I, congratulations. Yeah, I guess that's true. But it's like, what is your job as my wingman? Like, you don't ever help. Like, so at least once you get to like 64, you've got the all range mode and like the Star Wolf stuff. Like, okay, then you're like pulling your weight. But here, I'd assume you're back there, but I don't know. (laughs) Right, exactly. So I almost wish that there would be a mode in like Star Fox game where you, you would take like the permadeath from Fire Emblem. And just apply it to Star Fox. So, like, if you just blew up your, you know, your teammates, and they would just be gone for the rest of the game. Oh, well, there you go. And maybe that's—I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking that that is the case in this game, or one of the later Star Foxes, but I don't remember for sure. I—I I don't remember in this one because it's been so long since I let one of them die. Um, right. At least in '64, they're out for a couple of missions, and then they come back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, and yeah, I it, played Star Fox Two. Uh, I mean, as far I don't have a Super NES Classic yet, so I'm not really sure, you know, if if that's the case in that game or not. So, yep, I have not played that yet at all. Um, yeah. Eager to, I've got one friend that has a uh, SNES Mini, and mm. we've been to their house once since then. But their yeah. kid was playing Mario Kart, and I kind of felt like a dick to be like, you know, move, it's my turn. But right. you know, um, well, so. the kids got to grow up sometime, so <laughs> <laughs> teach them how adults work. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we only see the, them, you know, a couple times a year. But uh, one of these days, I'll get over there and play some Star Fox too. But yeah, it's it, that's another kind of interesting conversation in and of itself. And I don't want to make it the Star Fox Two cast, but well, what yeah. an interesting story of a game that you oh, know absolutely. just never came out. And yeah. well, that's what's but, cool too. With um, I mean, with the publicity for that in the last couple of years, because um, Dylan Cuthbert, the uh, main programmer of Star Fox and Star Fox 2 has been pretty uh, pretty vocal about that stuff. And he's been really excited to kind of see, you know, that finished product finally come to fruition, which is really right. cool. So um, I think it's always cool when you get to hear from the developers as far as, you know, the stories of how they made the games and um, things like that. So, uh, well, yeah. And I mean, that's just a weird case because it wasn't like they were halfway through development and then decided to scrap it. Like the game mm. was done. Yeah. And yeah. it was purely just a, I mean, from the, uh, who knows what the actual story are, but everything I've heard, it was just, well, this will bring up too much competition when we're trying to push the N64 now. And we right. want, we want people to too buy late. that. We want people to think like, it, it's going to be hard to convince them to buy this new 3d console when we can do these amazing 3d things on the super Nintendo. Like why would they buy the new one? So yeah, exactly. But so, yeah. And there was a, there was like a beta ROM floating around the internet for years for Star Fox two. And then, you know, once it, it kind of was leaked that there was a full version out there, uh, that really kind of, uh, brought a lot of interest into the, uh, to the old games, which is cool. So, right. um, if you would have told me 20 years ago that we'd be playing an unreleased Star Fox game in 2018, I, I would probably wouldn't believe you, but that's I know. cool. You know, yeah. so, I don't know. Yeah, so um, I don't know. What are what are some other fun things to say about this game? I think that one of my personal favorite aspects of it is just all the different like modes that you can go through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's obviously we talked about. There's just kind of the standard shooter re- worlds. Then there's the 
kind of deep space, as you called them. Um, I always thought that one of the coolest things in this game was when you get to one of the stages where you've got to like fly inside of the like tunnels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple in like space levels, and then I th- through Venom you get it. But not only do you get that really cool zoom in when you go in there, but then it's kind of the obstacle course through it. A um, couple of bosses you have to fight like in these closed quarters. It's just a it's a very very neat looking aesthetic. Um, and I don't know if you did the same thing that I did as a kid, but like I had a couple of friends who hadn't played Star Fox, and they would you know come over and hang out like right at the point where I was to that point in mm-hmm. the game and where it kind of takes over for you and flies you through like especially that shoot at the end of oh, venom yeah. like uh-huh. i'd i'd act like i was flying just so they'd be yep. like holy shit so good <laughs> yeah everybody did that like Ooh, i'm not gonna make it yep i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> oh yeah yeah i love the uh, i think it's the space armada level where you actually you fly through several of the ships and blow them up from the inside yep i love that level because it's Again, it's it's the trench run from Star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're getting in there and like the quarters are cramped and tight and you know, you you've got one chance to just blow up the reactor and, and fly out. And it's just awesome. Like it it just feels great. Well, and it's cool that it's like optional too. Like you don't mm-hmm. have to do it. Right. Um, and I guess that you know that kind of brings up if I had any complaint about this game, it would be the idea that there are uh, I know I know that this was back before we had, you know, games where everything had like achievements and unlockables and stuff like that, but yeah. Th- this this feels like one of those games where there's lots of different things that you're encouraged to do, mm-hmm. but there's no real reward for doing any of them. Like say, like we were talking about, you know, your wingmen, like keeping them alive like doesn't really change the game in any way. Um the you get a kind of score at the end of each stage, like your percentage of completion. And again, I think that kind of helps add to how many continues or credits you get, but ultimately like getting 90 versus 95, like it just doesn't really seem to make that big of a difference. Um, well, it does say in the, I'm looking at the instruction manual here. It does say that uh, if you miss an enemy and it goes past uh, that one of your wingmen might be able to vaporize it. It does say that, um, that if if your wingmen survive, they will often shoot down enemies that you might miss, and that will add to your percentage for the for the level. Huh, okay, well so then that's happening. Hundred percent shot down in each level. You really want to keep all three of your teammates alive. Yeah, and that's a very subtle kind of background thing that's yeah. happening. Hmm. But, uh, I don't know. I was going to talk a little bit about just the um, the length of the game, specifically in the way that it's designed, because um, it's also it's it's sort of a arcade like almost a score attack game in a way, because um, if you really break it down between each of the courses, if you're really good, you can, you can beat each course in about probably 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. So it's interesting because I can remember playing this when it first came out and, and playing through like one course and it's like what, four or five levels. Yeah. Five each, I think. So yeah, it's like five levels and then the end credits and they're thinking that was it. Like, wow. Okay. That's really short. And then, you play the second one and it's about the same and the third one's about the same, but it gets more difficult. So obviously it's going to take you a little bit longer. So I think at first it's interesting because you think that this game is really short and there's not much to it, but when you go back to it and you play it again to try to get a higher score or uh, try to find some of the, the secret areas and things like that, then that's where the game really opens up. But I think at first I can kind of remember, you know, playing this and thinking, wow, there's not a whole lot here for my $50. But really there is. It's just, I think it was more the expectation of thinking it was going to be this long, epic game versus a, a pick-up-and-play arcade-like rail shooter, which is not, I'm not knocking that by any means. Um, I think that's to its credit, especially now, because you can just drop this game in and play it for half an hour and be satisfied. So what I was going to say, that, that's how it, how it works, I guess. That's the funny thing about it, too, because you know, in, in modern days, those are exactly the kind of games that I look for. Yes. Um, you know, I, I love that I can pick this up and, you know, come home from work, let the dog out. Oh, we got a half an hour to kill before dinner. Like, great. I can go play through an entire playthrough of Star Fox. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's a perfect kind of thing like that. Like I have very little time anymore for 
like the 50, 60 hour long RPGs. Like I just never find myself playing them. I don't even bother like kind of getting started because I know that the odds that I'm going to finish it are pretty rare. But littler kind of simple games like this, they still have the challenge. They still have a lot of new things to discover. But yeah, I think that length is is perfect for you're just kind of that one sitting and I and I like that I can kind of complete it just in sure. that period sure. of time. So And I'm I'm kind of the opposite of you a little bit because I I still like to pick up and play these games like this where it's a little bit shorter, but I also I still play a lot of longer games, but in a way I I take my time with them because that keeps me from buying other games, I guess, if that makes yeah. sense. So yeah, sure. I still play modern consoles, but I've slowed down quite a bit in the number of games I get for newer consoles because I still have older games in my backlog that I'm still going through. And most of them, you know, it, it might take me a year to play through an RPG, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to savor every minute of it because, you know, I'll still find time to do that. I think, oh, I think Dragon Quest Seven took me like almost a year to play through maybe. Oh yeah, I remember that. We were texting yeah. like you were giving me updates, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna finish this damn thing." <laughs> it's so damn long, yeah. but it was fun, you know. Sure. Um, and there, there are shorter RPGs out there that I still enjoy too, but I think um, in this day of of microtransactions and DLC and things like that, there's something to be said about still having you know a, a forty to sixty hour RPG in your backlog. Thinking, you know, I only paid for this once, and I'm right. getting years and years of gameplay out of it yeah that's that's a really good point but it just depends but i i do like the fact that there's a lot more rpgs on portables now too because that makes it easier to play through them too but that makes such a difference yeah but on getting back on on onto star fox though i think it's like you said it's perfect to just sit down and play through like one course and be satisfied or to just sit down try to play through all three of them um you know it, it lends itself to a variety of play styles yeah. All right. So now I'm watching up in my video caught up to we're almost done with course two and into the section, which I think this is another one of those levels that was just so unique, but where you've got the um, basically the space version of sea creatures flying all over the place. Yeah. The, it, um, it was like the manatees or something, space manatees. Yeah. There's the, well, there's the big manta rays, there's the squids, there's the mm-hmm. fish, there's different things that, it's so unique because most of them like won't hurt you unless you shoot them and that pisses them off. And then they kind of come after you. Right. Um, And then there's others where they're like, start off as one color and you basically just have to shoot them until they change color. And then they, that kind of neutralizes them and they're fine. But if Mm. you keep shooting them, they get pissed off. So it's, it's a very interesting stage. Um, Yeah. Cause yeah, you're especially at this point, you're conditioned to just like, kill everything but mm-hmm. yeah it's like and and those things like if you piss them off like they'll come at you and <laughs> take you down yep. real quick oh yeah sure so yeah being able to pay attention and decipher like what you're supposed to shoot and what you're not and mm-hmm. yeah and they pretty much tell you that you know to kind of keep an eye out for them but you're so used to just shooting everything in sight at that point that uh that's the one time that you really don't want to do that yeah, it's kind of a dick move when you really think about it to throw something at you like that, where it's like, hey, here's all these peaceful creatures. Like, if you shoot them, that's when you die. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's a good way to keep you on your toes, though. Sure, sure. All right. Well, I've been uh, we've been going for a little while here. I kind of lost track of time, but um, all right. Any uh, other major differences you wanted to talk about regionally, or did you find any other kind of interesting trivia bits like that? Um, I, got, I got a little bit. Really. I um I just wanted to kind of go back to just to revisit just the time in which this came out, which is '93, and like we kind of talked about in the beginning, um, you know, with like 3D polygon games were starting to to really come out into the mainstream now. Um, I just wanted to kind of go over a couple other games that came out in '93 that graphically were a little bit similar, but also kind of showed that. You know, like we said, Nintendo still had some tricks up their sleeve with the Super FX chip being sort of their ace in the hole because, um, you know, obviously Star Fox came out in April or whatever. But, um, you know, you also had later on in the year, you had the first Ridge Racer came out in arcades. Um, you had Virtua Fighter. You had um, X-Wing on the PC. So um, uh, you had Sylphid 
on the Sega CD, which was graphically very similar to Star Fox, but it was more the backgrounds were were I think they were pre-rendered uh, video, but kind of similar though in a way. So it's interesting because looking at a lot of these games that came out in this year, you start to see the shift of bigger and better graphically um, powerful three-dimensional games. And it's just interesting to me that, you know, the Super NES, which was a couple years old at this point, could still kind of hang with that a little bit. You know, to kind of yeah. say, you don't need to get a CD system right away if you don't want to, because we have a similar experience on cartridge already. So, right. And I love Silphied on Sega CD. That was one of my favorites on that system. And playing that and playing Star Fox are very similar gameplay-wise at some points. But it's just interesting that, for me at least, like I get some of the same feeling when I play Star Fox as what I do when I play Silphied because they're very similar. But it just shows that you know you don't always have to have the 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 best new console. There's still experiences on the console that you have that might be pretty close to that. So I don't know. I thought it was interesting. It's funny that you mentioned Virtual Fighter because that's a that's one that I always you know pair with this is games that I think have a very similar feel and. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that aesthetic and era. So, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And, like, I was, I was kind of talking a little bit about that on the um, on the Facebook group as well. But uh, Virtua Racing is another example of that. And you, even though that's a year or two later, um, that's one I've, I've had some nostalgia for um, lately is some of these early 3D polygon games. Oh, yeah. Um, I went back. I, had, I picked up Virtual Racing on the Saturn, and I've been playing through that. And it's not, you know, granted, these, these early games, they run at, somewhat lower frame rates than what you'd normally expect, but they're still fun to be had with them. And I think it's maybe because we grew up with these games that we have sort of the, the rose tinted glasses for them, but I think they're still pretty playable. I mean, once you get past the fact that, um, you know, the, the tech is a little outdated compared to today, but it, they're still fun to be had. And oh, sure. That was the um, thing with me playing this for the first time, you know, the last couple of weeks playing Star Fox. It took me a little bit to get used to the fact that it runs probably what about maybe twenty frames a second. So it's it's not really really smooth. It takes a little bit to get used to that, but um, once you do, I think it's still perfectly playable. Yeah, and God, as you were mentioning some of the other three D games like that, I was trying to remember there was another arcade game that I played around that time that was completely polygon like this. Um, you sat in a seat. And you were controlling like mechs, and you you got to like pick between like a half a dozen different options, and there were just you just had two joysticks and like moving. It was controls like a tank, and I don't remember what it was, but you ran around and just mech fought game? mechs. And what's that? It was a mech game. Yeah. Okay. I, not, I can't remember what it was called. If any listeners know what I'm talking about, yeah. shoot me a picture on Facebook. Cause... Was it like? Did you go around in first person? And and uh, yeah, I think you were first person behind the like driver's seat of the mech, but. Whatever it was, it was so simple but yeah. incredibly fun. Um, so it's not uh, it's not virtual on because that was a few years later. Uh, there was a game on the Jaguar around this time called Iron Storm that was a you were a mech and you smashed buildings and things like that in first person. But yeah, I don't remember. I'll have to look it up later. But I knew one person that had a Jaguar growing up. I remember um, well when, by the time I was in high school. Like I remember going over there to his house one time. He's like, "Oh, I got a jaguar." I'm like, "Oh my god, you got a jaguar!" And we went over <laughs> and played it. It was not good. So I don't know. That's a whole other episode, I think. All right. So I got a little bit of trivia here from uh, actually a Christmas present I got. That was one of those books you probably saw sitting at Target or Toys R Us. The playing with superpower mm-hmm. book. I'll go ahead and cite what I'm quoting here. But Star Fox is one of the games featured in here, and it's kind of fun because it's got a lot of like interesting trivia which I think that for some of the games, it's just trying to fill up pages, but yeah. a couple interesting things that were in here. Um, I don't know if you ever played the WarioWare Smooth Moves game. Um, which one is that? Is that on GameCube? Uh, I'm not sure. I've, I've never played, played it myself, but it mentions it in here and it talks about there's a... Um, I've Star played WarioWare games, but I can't remember which one Smooth Moves. Well, maybe that's a GBA one. I don't know. This one has a Star Fox micro game in it that you got to pilot the R-Wing through Canaria, Sector X, or Titania, and the stage boss is Rob the Robot using an NES sapper to attack you. 
Oh, nice. Um, there is also supposedly the Star Fox tech demo made its public mm-hmm. debut at the winter CES in 95 and never turned into a complete game, but instead they made Red Alarm for the uh, oh, yeah. Virtual Boy instead. Yeah, I have that game. I yeah. forgot about that. That is actually really close to a Star Fox game. Yeah, that's one of the only Virtual Boy games that I remember and one of the only ones that I thought was fun to play. <laughs> Hope you ever stop by. You're welcome to play my copy of Waterworld if you'd like to... Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the Kevin Costner um, epic... This time in full red 3D, guaranteed to make your uh, your headache. Yeah, I I never had problems with the Virtual Boy headaches back in the day, but I, I don't know. I might yeah feel, feel a little bit differently now. I don't but, think it's that bad, but I don't know. It just depends. But I don't know. Uh, they, you know, we we were kind of joking on Facebook when you picked up uh, Star Fox Adventure and how that was you know kind of originally another game, Dinosaur Planet or something. Yeah. Um, but that kind of had earlier origins than even that according to this it says that planet fortuna is mm-hmm. also known as the dinosaur planet okay um near the turn of the millennium rare was developing an ambitious title for the nintendo 64 called dinosaur planet that yeah. eventually became star fox 64 so mm-hmm. it, it's not that big of a leap that they just suddenly threw star fox characters into dinosaur planet right yeah like i said i i picked it up for 499 so um even if it's terrible, I'm I'm not out too much. But it was one I was always curious about. So even though it's more of a 3D action adventure game, I guess. But I don't know. So. Uh, the only other interesting thing I saw in here was they were talking about the obvious Super FX chip that made mm-hmm. this game possible. Yeah. And how you know the original plan was that that was going to be included in the Super NES hardware itself. Sure. Um, the it it was developed a little bit too late for the Super Famicom, but they were going to put it in the Super NES, mm-hmm. and they kind of scrapped it just to keep the cost down. Yeah, but, you can see that. Yeah, that that would have been pretty incredible to think that this chip just existed in the Super NES from mm-hmm. launch. Yeah, well, and that could have been you know if if they were if they wanted to go, and I'm not saying this is a good idea, but if they wanted to go sort of the route that Sega did with the 32X and um, the Sega CD, you know, it it certainly could have been possible to release a Super NES with a Super FX chip in it, but at the same time, then you risk fragmenting your user base because then not every game is compatible and um, it creates some headaches. So, right. I mean, it could have been possible, I guess. I don't know. But well, and it 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 also kind of surprises me that they decided to just put the chip in certain games because. This was also back in the era where they were talking about so many different peripherals and accessories. And mm-hmm. you know, if, if you look through, you know, do this sometime when you're bored at work, go Google like all of the NES or Super NES, Famicom, whatever, like peripherals that like never made it or that did make it and you just have never heard of. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you think like the Miracle keyboard is weird, there's one that like hooks up to the console and like knits for you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the, uh, the knitting machine on the... It's hammer. so ridiculous yeah. how many things were out there. And just all of these other things that we kept hearing rumors of, oh, that'll be amazing when that comes out. And then it never did. Like, Have you ever seen the uh, the inflatable motorcycle for the Famicom? No. <laughs> I don't remember which game it was now, but um, there, was a, uh, there was a motorcycle racing game that came with... Um, it had a motorcycle controller, a handlebar controller, that was attached to a um, an inflatable bike. So you had to like pump up this bike and then sit on it and steer. So, uh, you know, but it's funny too, because, you know, you look at those in those peripherals and then you look at like Nintendo Labo that's coming out for the Switch and like, huh, that's kind of the same idea that they had 30 years ago, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, Nintendo's so. been doing that very recently. Like a lot of their products are technology that they tried to do 20 30 years ago and it just didn't quite work but now they finally got the hang of it i said that when the Wii came out i'm like oh it's a power glove that actually works like (laughs) right yep but yeah or yeah virtual boy that was terrible and then here we get the 3ds so they're Mm -hmm. they're just you know they they try these prototypes and then a couple decades later they get it right so it's yeah i mean look at you know look at the gamecube with the game boy advance adapter and then look at the switch you know what i mean so at exactly. that point 
you can still play Game Boy Advance games on your TV, and now it's like, okay, now you've got the unified console. So, right. So, yeah, it's just it's interesting. I mean, paying attention to how these companies sort of recycle their ideas a little bit with better tech is always kind of interesting. So, right. All right. So as far as regional differences, I found basically nothing. Yeah, um, I didn't really find anything. I mean, because it's it, it's such a quick turnaround time, you know, as far as localization, because there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue to translate, but there right. wasn't a whole lot of other things that changed between the releases. They're all pretty pretty similar. Right. Yeah, I've been playing my Super Famicom version, and half the text is in English, half of it is in Mm-hmm. Japanese, like all of their dialogue, like when General Pepper's talking to you or when your wing mate, mates are talking to you, like that's yeah. all in Japanese. Mm-hmm. But like when you finish a stage, like and it gives you percent and all that, like course clear, like that's still all English. Yeah. Um, the menu is in Japanese, but otherwise, yeah, it's it's a good half and half. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the only differences I could see playing the Super Famicom version are the the title screen is almost identical, although the color of the mm-hmm. Star Fox logo itself is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, when you're on the the kind of like menu screen and you're choosing which control style you want, the um, Japanese version has the picture of the controller that obviously has the green, blue, yellow, and red buttons instead of the four purple buttons, but that's just to match yeah. the controller. But otherwise, I I saw nothing different or was not aware of anything as I was playing through that stood out yeah well i guess um as far as regional differences we should mention probably the biggest one i guess really is just the naming um of the game because you know for the us and japan we knew it as star fox but uh, european players actually knew it as star wing right and uh even some of the later titles over there like star fox 64 was lilac wars and stuff like that so i mean there are some regional naming differences i guess yeah it was a potential issue with a german company was why they yeah. named it starwing instead but mm-hmm. yeah i don't know so. something yeah because i think it was called starbox and so it was pretty close to you know so they had to avoid confusion and change it a little bit so right that's about the biggest difference that i know yeah pretty much so alrighty. well um i know a couple of our listeners were chiming in and giving some of their nostalgia and thoughts so yeah they were um Jeff actually uh, said, you know, Star Fox was a game that he was blown away by the first time he played it. He rented it because they couldn't find a copy to buy anywhere. And I think you kind of said that, too. Yep, same for me. Um, you know, his brother and, and him played pretty much the entire weekend until they had to take it back to the video store and, um, you know, makes him wish that he had a Super NES so he could, you know, get the cart and play it right now, which is totally cool. So uh, Yeah, and, and I kind of said that at the beginning, too. Like, this is one of those you know, kind of rare games today, because if you don't still have a super Nintendo or super Famicom, like this is not an easy one to get. Like it's not on virtual consoles. It's, you know, because of the FX chip that made emulation issues. Like, so it was kind of one of those things where if you sold or got rid of your super NES back in the day, up until the SNES classic came out, like you weren't playing this. Um, And even that, you know, we could talk about how rare it is, but like, this is, just kind of one of those obscure games that's hard to find anymore. Thankfully, though, I will say it's not super expensive. I mean, true, very true. You know, granted, everything else has ballooned up as far as retro game prices in the last ten years, but um, Star Fox is really still affordable. Which is good. part part of why I love my Super Famicom. I got this this cart loose for six bucks. Mm-hmm. That's a good deal. So, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Um, Nick Brown chimed in and uh, he had some some really good thoughts about just, you know, given the time frame and just how um, virtual reality was right around the corner and, you know, being able to look around in a 3D world and things like that. So and kind of like what we talked about with Star Fox hit consoles, um, you know, you couldn't believe it. It just it had the feel of the very expensive VR arcade games. And uh, he says in many ways it exceeded it, which is true, you know. Um, it says, uh, hard to believe that people or hard, hard to believe something in this groundbreaking is not very loved by people anymore. They tend to insult the frame rate and things, but to be honest, the game feels like a movie, a truly cinematic experience with an epic soundtrack. And he's exactly right. I mean, like we talked about, it's, it's very cinematic. Um, we didn't really mention the music, but, um, it's very, very epic. And even like the first stage, the Corneria stage, 
music is probably probably my favorite in the game because there's something about it that it's adventurous and it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the game that you're going to play if that makes sense yeah um, completely it, it just it gets you in the mood for for flying this this cool looking ship and being able to to barrel roll and twist and turn and, and shoot and um yeah it's just there's something magical about it i guess is what i'm trying to say i don't know yeah but um yeah uh so nick says you know he's done it all he's he's played all three paths he's uh done all the the black hole and the out of the dimension and, and things like that um but yeah it's interesting and he also goes on to kind of say that it's interesting that a lot of the seriousness of the original Star Fox was kind of lost in Star Fox 64, making the series feel a little bit more kiddy and the characters more like puppets almost, which is kind of true, I guess. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and it, it, I want to go back for just a second about what he was saying about like the this one not quite getting the same amount of love that it deserves or whatever. And yeah. I, I do think that that happened um somewhat because like like i said at the beginning of the conversation like this game's tough Mm -hmm. and you know the controls are a little bit clunky you know in terms of like it being difficult to aim or just various things like that so i could see this being a little bit off-putting to people and i do remember a lot of my friends um praising star fox 64 when it came out just because you know their words not mine like it finally kind of fixed this game. Yeah. Um, and they were looking at it as like that one just had a little bit tighter controls. It was easier to manage, mm-hmm. to maneuver, all the different things. And so like I, I wonder how widespread that belief and you know feeling kind of was to maybe, yeah. you know, that was just kind of th- this game really takes somebody who loves it, you know, to truly appreciate it because I don't think it's for everyone. Yeah. I think it's more of a generational thing because uh you know, I played Star Fox came out when I was in high school and Star Fox 64 came out while I was in college. And I bought that, too, and I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as this one, I suppose, mm-hmm. because, yeah, we we grew up playing the original one. So I think, you know, we have stronger feelings on that versus, you know, what somebody grew up playing one of the sequels, yes, right. which is true with a lot of games. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's still really good. Um, Scott LaFerry said he remembered playing it on a demo unit at the Canton Kmart and wanting it so bad. Uh, <laughs> um, that's another thing too, that, you know, is, is sort of something we haven't really touched on, but, um, there was sort of a feeling back in the day of walking into a store that had a demo station and, you know, if they had Star Fox or if they had something that, that wasn't out yet, like you were just beelining right to that demo station. To, oh Yeah your hands on it because that was the only way you could play it before release yeah and that's not something that you know happens anymore because you know now you can sign up for betas and uh, download the the demos and stuff like that and it's a big big deal but back then it was it was something special i guess yeah you're you're definitely right so, so yeah all right well i don't think you know talking to you off mic that there was really a whole lot that either of us had for tips and tricks but no i don't I don't think we can go through a whole discussion without, you know, mentioning the two big secrets that are in the game, which I don't think are that are too big of a mystery to people who have played this, but um, we got to talk about the black hole and out of this dimension, don't we? Oh yeah. Yeah. Why don't you uh, go ahead and fill us in on that? So there's basically two secret areas that you can get to in the game. um, One of which creates a shortcut to another course. One of which makes a shortcut, I guess, to the ending. Um, so the the first one and kind of the more straightforward is through the black hole, uh, which you can get there from, if I remember right, you got to take course one, and it's when you get to the asteroid belt, or the asteroid field, the second stage. There's um, th- there's a couple of different things that you've got to basically like fly into it and hit just at the right time, and it opens up you know the black hole for you. I won't mm-hmm. completely spoil it. You can kind of figure it out on your own, but just know that it's hidden there and the black hole itself is a pretty short little world that I think that they were mostly just trying to show off some of the effects of what they could do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when you then pop out the other side, you're now, you know, in sector Y of course too. So let's you skip over sector X, section X and uh, Titania and get closer to venom there in section two. But um, interesting little thing. If you're playing through course one and all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit, now I'm in uh 
course to a venom it's a little little trickier but um yeah that's that's one of those where it's like sometimes i have to catch myself if i want to play course one because it's almost like instinct to go find the black hole and then it's like oh no wait i don't want that right now right exactly yep um and then yeah the other one that we mentioned is going to out of this dimension which this you can find if you take course three and again it's in the asteroid belt uh this one you're you're looking for the asteroids that have the weird kind of faces on them um Mm -hmm. you got to shoot shoot the second one that comes up i think and if you shoot it enough times an egg flies out and then a big bird comes and you run into the bird and it'll take you to out of this dimension which is one of the most weird things i've ever seen in a video game um yeah it's bizarre the music is out there all of the jets and you know enemies that are flying at you are like origami paper airplanes that like fold in front of you and then fly at you. Uh, and then at the end, you're not sure where you're going to go and you end up fighting a boss. That's a giant slot machine, right? Um, Weird. Shooting the handle makes the, the three little spinners go round, and it might give you a result that makes it shoot missiles at you. You could get a result that sends out mm-hmm. coins that give you life. There's, it's it's so bizarre but yeah if you can get all three sevens which i'll admit sometimes takes you know a good 15 20 minutes to finally get it um you it blows up and you get another ending that's technically a way to beat the game Mm -hmm. yeah very bizarre but it's definitely a a way to to clear it yeah so yeah if you've played through this plenty of times didn't know that that's there well go seek those out but i'm Mm -hmm. Yes, and all of the listeners know about the black hole and yeah. this dimension. It does. It adds a lot of replay value to it, which is cool. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else you want to bring up about Star Fox? Uh, just that I I've appreciated it more in in the last few weeks playing it. So, um, if you haven't played it for a long time, I would say um, go back to it. Um, don't let the frame rate bother you too much because after a little while, you get used to it. And uh, I think you'll still find it really enjoyable because it is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it does have a little bit of a, a readjustment curve, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to say it. Like, yeah, I, I kind of felt the same thing when I was picking it back up. I'm like, man, it's like I'm way worse at this than I remember. But, mm-hmm. you know, by two or three stages in, you're like, all right, I got it again. But yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you if you die a couple of times, take a break, come back to it, you know, the next day or a few hours later and you'll find that you're you've improved. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the sign of a good game. Yep. So, all righty. Well, we've already uh, made a pick for what we're going to be doing here in two weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, this was going to be your pick. Star Fox was mine. So next week is or next episode's all on you. Yep. Uh, yep. I got a good one lined up. So I think uh, you're pretty you're pretty proud of yourself on this one. I'm I'm pretty excited for it because it was a uh, it was a Grail game of mine for years, and uh, I I got a physical copy of it uh, last year. And it's it's one that it, it's accessible. Um, it's out there in um, on virtual consoles and, and stuff like that. So um, it's going to be a big game, and uh, we're going to be excited to talk about it. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll be dropping some hints as to what it is pretty soon. Yeah, I think the timing is pretty important too, given you know. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's probably why I wanted to do it as well. Yeah, so don't delay on downloading, you know, next episode. If you normally backlog them a couple of weeks, maybe listen to that one because if we get you excited about the game, eh, your opportunity to get it might disappear pretty quick. So yeah, but there's still a couple other ways to get it too, though. You can sure. All right. Well, if uh, listeners just can't wait and they just are dying to chat with us and get the hints of what we're going to talk about as early as possible, Wes, how do they get a hold of us? Well, the easiest way would be to uh, check out our Facebook group, Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, you can also find, find us on Twitter uh, at Duck Graveyard. You can shoot us an email, graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know what you think of the show, if you're enjoying it, if you're not enjoying it. Um, you know, any games that you'd like us to talk about or any memories that you have growing up playing um, these classics like we have. Uh, we'd love to hear, and that's that's why we do the show. We love hearing your nostalgia and sharing our nostalgia for these games, and uh, yeah, just a lot of fun, so I hope you enjoy. I love the nostalgia, and I love the requests, so keep them both coming. That's right. All right, well, I think we've gone long on this one, so uh, go ahead and wrap it up, but I would say that uh, until next episode, I'm Scott. 
And I'm Wes. And just remember that while Slippy may seem to be timid and passive at times, he always keeps a positive mindset about things. The scrapes he gets into may sometimes add comic relief to the dangerous situations you find yourself in during your mission. I think that's bullshit because Slippy is just a needy bastard that constantly gets into trouble <laughs> and in front of you all the time. So if you shoot him down, you shouldn't feel bad. <laughs> that's, that's a Hallmark card if I've ever heard one. Game.